0: Amen. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. And out of curiosity, know how many uh, of us here today uh, have had someone in our family or extended family who have uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice and given their life in in the military? Yeah, quite a few. So we want to honor those loved ones who have lost their lives and have served us and, as Cindy said, helped to ensure our freedoms to Uh, to speak and to worship and to live in a free land. And so we celebrate that freedom and we recognize it's because they have laid down their lives for us and uh, put themselves in harm's way that we do uh, get to enjoy uh, the ability to uh, even just be here together this morning. And uh, as we honor those who have uh, paid the ultimate price, and as we turn our hearts to God's Word, uh, we're going to be in our final round of our series, Chasing the Wind, and it's a study in Ecclesiastes. just want to invite you to join me in praying uh, one more time to ask for God's blessing on our time in His Word today. Holy Father, we thank You for Your Word, and that You are not only a God who speaks, but You are a God who acts. And you have demonstrated through your son, Jesus, that you are a God who loves us so much that you were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice to lay down your life, not because you had to, but because you chose to. Not because you're a God of love, but because you care about each one of us and you call us your friends. And so we thank you today for the freedom that we have in Christ and the ability to live in in relationship with you regardless of where we've been or whatever we've done we can come with you to you in trust and we can live with you and know that we are in your care and so today we ask that you would speak to us through your word and that you would remind us not only of who we are but who we are to you and in you it's in Jesus name we pray amen So if you've been with us this last year, you know that we are entering round three of our study in Ecclesiastes. We were kind of doing an experiment this year where we broke up uh, the whole book into three different sections or modules. And this is uh, our our third round of Ecclesiastes uh, called Chasing the Wind, which is intended to be kind of a study in the futility and the fulfillment of life. And we've been exploring the ancient wisdom of this book called Ecclesiastes, and as an essential kind of overview today, I want to to spend some time to remind us of where we've been to kind of prepare us to enter into the final rounds of working through chapters 8 through 12 of the book of Ecclesiastes. And the reality that Ecclesiastes helps us to begin to identify and to wrestle with in our own hearts, in our own minds is that as we look at life in this world, life under the sun, and we look around at all the people around us and and the culture around us, and not just in our modern day, but even back in these Old Testament biblical times, we can see that we're surrounded by people who are living for all that this world has to offer. When in the end, what we discover is that none of it ever truly satisfies. So the word Ecclesiastes, which is the title of the book, is a Greek term that is used for a person who is essentially a speaker or a teacher of of a a group or an assembly of people. Uh, The word Ecclesia, which is the shorter form, is the same word that we use to translate church. But in Hebrew, this gathering of people was called a kahal, and the teacher, or we might say preacher, was the Kohelet. And so in this context, it's most likely intended for us to be thinking about the the people of Israel who were gathered together to worship God and to hear the word of the Lord. And so the author of the book of Ecclesiastes claims to be sharing with us the words of Kohelet, or the words of the teacher, in order to pass on wisdom for life and for hope and for happiness. In verse 1, he starts off by telling us that he's sharing with us the words of the teacher, or Kohelet, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, if you remember the beginning of this series, we talked about how if any person might expect to be able to gain from their labors in this life and in this world, it would be, in Israel at that time, the king, right? Particularly a king like Solomon, who was the son of David, who was famed for both his wisdom and his wealth. If getting ahead of the game is the goal in life, Solomon, to all appearances, would be the person who we would vote most likely to succeed. Yet scholars suggest that based on the evidence within Ecclesiastes itself, it's most likely that the speaker in this book is just simply taking on the persona of King Solomon and reflecting on the reality of life in this world as if he were Solomon, because Solomon is the perfect example to facilitate an exploration of life under the sun. Because the the exploration and the experiments that he's going to walk us through require uh, the experiences of a Solomon to be able to undertake, which is great wealth and power and wisdom and a whole lot of available free time. (laughs) And so we also recognize that the real life Solomon is the perfect example of a man who knew God, but along the way, lost his connection to God. And so it's as if if the teacher is asking us, as we read through the the, the words of wisdom in this book, do you today, like Solomon, wish that your life was better or different or more than it is? Do you struggle to find satisfaction and contentment in your day-to-day life in this world? Are you always feeling like there's more to do and there's more to achieve and there's more to pursue in order for you to finally arrive at whatever destination is that you think you need to get to when you can finally rest and be happy and be satisfied with the life that you have? Well, Kohelet wants to suggest to us as we read through these words of ancient wisdom that it might just be possible that if that's you and if that's me, there's a fatal flaw in your thinking. There's a glitch in the system that continues to undermine your highest hopes and your best laid plans that no matter how hard you strive, no matter what you try to do, no matter how many times you fall down and get back up again, it continues to leave you feeling weary and worn out and disappointed again and again and again. And so the teacher pulls no punches and he gives us his conclusions right from the beginning. We can look in verse 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, where he says, meaningless, meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, we talked about how this word meaningless that the NIV uses to translate uh, this passage here is probably an unfortunate translation, because he's not really saying that life in this world is meaningless. Meaningless. The Hebrew word that he uses is hebel, or if you're Jewish, you probably have to say hebel, right? (laughs) Which describes something that really, more literally, is like a breath. (sighs) Or a breeze, or a vapor. So more literally, the teacher here is saying that everything is but a breath. And so in a more poetic fashion, as kind of a, a metaphor for life, Kohelet is saying that life is, is fleeting, it's ephemeral, it's here today and gone tomorrow, and it's difficult to grasp and to hang on to. And like breath or wind or a vapor, life is not something that is within our ability to, to grab onto, to manipulate and control. Although it's not nearly as poetic as saying everything is but a breath, I've suggested that the more useful word for our understanding is the word futile. Something that is futile is incapable of producing any useful result. See, it's not that that life is meaningless, but rather that life can be pointless, life can be useless, that everything that we try to do to get a leg up, to try and produce some kind of meaningful benefit for ourselves always leaves us feeling disappointed and unsatisfied. And so I believe the word futile or futility is the best word that captures the intent of what the teacher is wanting us to understand as he takes us on this journey of searching for the source of happiness and fulfillment in life lived here on earth under the sun. And so given this fleeting and uncontrollable nature of this life that we've been given, the big question that Kohelet asks is this in verse 3, What do people gain from all their labor at which they toil under the sun? What do you get from life when it's all over? What profit can you find? Uh, When all is said and done, when all the pieces go back in the box and the game of life is over, what do you get to keep at the end that, that you didn't start with? See, when he talks about life under the sun, he's not looking at life in an eternal sense as we often talk about it because of the resurrection of Jesus and the eternal life that we now have in him. What he's examining is life here on earth between birth and death. Life as creatures who are created by God, who are born and who live and who die as part of this world in which we live, that's what he means by under the sun, God and heaven are are up there or out there somewhere. They're, They're beyond our plane of existence, but we still live this life between birth and death here on this planet under the sun. And so ultimately, the teacher wants to help us understand that the very nature of this universe, of God's creation in which we find ourselves, resists our human comprehension and desire to control our own life. The world is essentially an unchanging place, unaffected by the generations of human beings that come and that go after a brief performance on the stage of life. All the natural phenomenon, he says, if you read through these early chapters, the sun and the moon and the stars and the wind and the rain and the rivers that bring the water back to fill the oceans... All these natural phenomena toil steadily away. Around and around they go, going about their appointed tasks without change and without variation. And so ultimately, if you look at the, the nature of the universe that God has created, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing that breaks this rule of regularity and predictability that can be seen in all things. And we as human beings who are also participants in the drama of creation as being created by God ourselves and who pass briefly by on the stage of life that this world provides are ultimately relatively insignificant in the larger scheme of things. Our lives are but a breath and then they're gone. His point is that the very nature of human existence in this world as a part of God's created order and design resists our attempts to manage and control our lives and to find fulfillment and satisfaction within our own wisdom and our own strength. And in the larger scheme of things, your life and my life can seem ultimately useless if we don't understand where the true source of fulfillment and happiness come from. So here at the very beginning of the book, he gives us his executive summary of his findings that he explores through the rest of the book. And in verse 13 and 14, he says, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun and all of them are futile. It's just chasing after the wind. And he goes on to explain how through experimenting in his own life by the accumulation of wisdom and knowledge and intellect or or pursuing pleasure and not withholding anything from himself and, and pursuing the world of materialism and things and accumulating wealth and money and servants and people and concubines and everything that this world has to offer, his final conclusion is sobering. In verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was futile. It was a chasing after the wind because nothing was gained Under the sun. Nothing created lasting satisfaction and fulfillment. It's true that wisdom reveals that trying to create or manufacture our own happiness, toiling to gain some kind of personal profit out of life in this world can be a heavy burden because in the end, we have to realize that we have no actual power to control the outcomes. And to try to do so, he's warning us from the very beginning, is to live a life that's like chasing after wind. Kohelet wants us to come to understand that the futility of living in life, this this frustration and this disappointment that we often feel in a recurring manner through our lives is precisely revealed in terms of our own human refusal to accept things the way they are. We refuse to live in reality. His emphasis is on helping us to learn to accept that life is whatever comes from the hand of God. Rather than striving with it and struggling against it, it's, it's our refusal to accept the reality that results in our weariness and our dissatisfaction because there's nothing we can do to change it. Our human attempts to impose our self-will onto our reality in this way, he says, is the foolish undertaking. It's the temptation that we all fall into. It's the lie that we choose to believe that somehow that's the purpose of life. And that's what we should spend our lives trying to do. But in this pattern, in this path, life becomes an endless exercise in pointless striving after something that we were never intended to be able to find or produce or gain. And the reality that we continually fail to recognize and the trap that we most frequently fall into is in failing to understand the reality of life in this world, we fail to realize that we are not the gods of our own lives. And we were never meant to be that. You see, when you look at creation itself, and the Bible over and over again invites us to look to the world that God has made, to see the hand of God in creation, Uh, uh, the, the Bible says the creation speaks about the glory of God and who God is, when creation itself in all of its amazing mystery and complexity is not itself designed to produce any surplus or to generate any profit through its toil, but is content to go on with its appointed tasks, to pursue its labors endlessly and cyclically in consistency with the way that God has created it and designed it why would we expect that our lives should function any differently? And in a way that will give us the power to control and manipulate and produce the results that we desire, the things that we want, rather than the reality of what we have. Rather than the life that God has ordained for you and for me. See, we were reminded that if you think about it, this was Jesus' perspective too, wasn't it? And that he takes this futility in striving after wind in life and he attaches it to our inner life, our heart life, our inner experience where we are continually worrying about what we can do to try and get a leg up in life. You remember Luke twelve twenty-five and 26? He says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Well, why do we worry at all? Because we're afraid that if we don't do something, if we can't find a way of controlling life, that that life might not be what we ultimately hope or want it to be, right? And so we fall into this temptation that somehow we have to manage or control or manipulate or find a way to make it work. But it never works. And so we're, we're left feeling frustrated and disappointed. And more often than not, we turn that inward on ourselves. And we say, man, if I was just a better person. If I just had more willpower. If I, if I was just more diligent and following through on the commitments that I, I make, I, I could be thinner. I could be happier. I could be wealthier. And maybe then, life would be what I want it to be. And yet we're reminded again and again and again by Kohelet in Ecclesiastes, by the Bible and by Jesus, that life is meant to be a gift. It cannot be taken or manufactured or earned or controlled. It can only be received solely as a gift from God. And in exposing the truth about our lives in this world, Kohelet wants us to see that there is a better way of being in this world, a way that was originally designed and intended by God when he made you and me the way he made us, and that when we're ready to accept that he is God and that we are not, we will discover that there's actually no need the chase to begin with. So what advice does the teacher give us? Well, in the same way that he uses this word hebel or or breath, uh, which we are translating as futile or futility, to describe the life of striving after fulfillment and personal gain as the goal of life, he also uses the Hebrew word tov, which means good, to describe for us what the good life really is what's the better path that we can take in chapter 2 verses 24 to 26 he says a person can do nothing better a person can do nothing more tove than to eat and drink and find satisfaction literally it says to find tove to find good in their own toil this too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases or toves God, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, to the person who, who does not honor God as God, who thinks that they've got it all figured out, who, who thinks that they can pursue and find happiness on their own terms... He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth simply to hand it over to the one who toves God. This too is hebel, futile, and a chasing after the wind. You see, the good life, the tove life for the created mortal human being consists in appreciating and valuing and enjoying the daily routines of life. More literally, he says, to cause his soul to see the tove in his toil, to find good in the work that we are given to do. You see, once we've unmasked the lie, once we have torn the veil off the illusion that goes all the way back to the, the story in Genesis, right, where, where the devil came in the garden as a serpent and said, if you eat this fruit, what, you're going to be like God. <laughs> and man, we sold out hook, line, and sinker for that lie, right? Right? But once we we remove that lie from our eyes and we remember who we are, we can perhaps begin to see with new eyes that there is a different and a better way of being a human being in this world. This is a part of the worldview that the New Testament begins to open for us as well. And the Apostle Paul shares with us in the book of Romans as he begins to help us understand the significance of this new truth that Jesus came to reveal. If you remember in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became Futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. You see, what the Bible tells us over and over again is that with God, life can be experienced and enjoyed the way he intended it. But without God, when we try and go it on our own, everything becomes wearisome and grief-stricken and depressing and nothing but futility and a chasing after the wind. You see, it's for all those who refuse to accept reality as it is and to honor God as God that the world becomes a place of futility and emptiness. Wisdom recognizes our human place in the reality of God's creation and having done so can come to know true joy and true fulfillment in living simply by receiving your life as a gift from God. And so, Ecclesiastes, in an unexpected way, becomes a foreshadowing of the gospel message, right? The good news, the Tove News message of Jesus, where again we see the same mindset at work in his teaching in Matthew 16 25, where he says, Forever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, not only is life itself a gift from God, but in Jesus, the gift of new life and a new creation through the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to relationship with God, our creator, is what makes it possible for us to discover the good life that the teacher recommends even now, today, this side of heaven under the sun. Those who have learned to find joy in the daily experience of living as a gift from the hand of God, even the good things and the hard things, God promises that he will use them and work them for our good and for his glory if we trust in him. Those who rely on God will find even greater joy. Those who depend on God for wisdom will find even greater wisdom. And in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks the door will be open. See, ultimately the gospel message is that those who recognize the reality that our own ultimate end of death is the ultimate statement of our creaturely limitations and the reality that you are not the God of your own life forces us to recognize that we cannot save ourselves. But in the moment that we admit that and we acknowledge that, God promises that we will, through Christ, be able to rise to new life beyond death. And it's those who turn their hearts to God who recognize that He is the only one who can do for us the very things that we most desire that we cannot do for ourselves. And so once we begin to see With new eyes, the teacher tells us, the nature and the purpose of life becomes more and more clear, and we begin to accept that God is in control, and that God can be trusted, and that we can cease our striving, and we can learn to find genuine enjoyment, not only in the life that we've been given, but particularly in the relationships that God has planted in our lives around us. You see, essentially, Kohelet tells us that the fool spends his life pursuing the means of making himself happy, while in the process, misses the very opportunity to enjoy the happiness that was available to him all along. So Ecclesiastes begins to help us to get this much clear. There is a choice that we make every day. About which version of reality we will choose to live in and embrace, which path we will choose to follow. And this choice has a real consequence for how we experience the joy and satisfaction of life in this world. Life is a gift, the Bible tells us, that is meant to be enjoyed. But when we cannot enjoy the life we have, we will never be able to enjoy the life that we think we want. Because enjoyment doesn't come from the things of this world. It doesn't come from having more. Enjoyment comes from the heart when life itself is seen as a gift to be celebrated and appreciated and enjoyed. And if we can develop the skill of gratitude and thankfulness and generosity in our own lives, then anything more that we get can be appreciated because we've learned the secret of fulfillment and contentment, which doesn't come from more, it comes from gratitude and being grateful for the gift that we have. Perhaps no more, nowhere will the teacher state it more simply than Ecclesiastes 4:6, where he says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil in the chasing after the wind. Men and women, We have been given the gift of new life in Christ. What more could we ask of God to find meaning and satisfaction and joy in living? The fact that each one of us is here this morning and gets to enjoy the opportunity to be alive on this planet and in this world itself is a gift from God. And we can put on top of that, that because Jesus died and gave his life and rose again from the dead, if we are willing to put our trust and our faith in the God of the Bible who gave his son so that we could be reconciled to him, we know that this gift of life that we have now will never have to end. And that even though, like all people, we will die, we know that we too, like Christ, will rise again to live in eternity, because that is His promise to you and to me and to all who would believe that we don't have to be the God of our own lives, because there is a God, and He is more than capable and more than willing to take care of you and me and provide everything that we need to be satisfied and happy in this world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, as we enter back into the words of Kohelet, the teacher, we just pray that you would remind us again of who we are and who we are to you and who we are in you. It can be challenging to be reminded, God, that that we don't have as much control as we think we do that we're not able to manage life in the ways that we often hope that we will be able to. But God, it is freeing to be reminded again that that was never your plan or intention for us. And so God, we give up control again today to you. And we ask that you would be the Lord of our lives and that through Jesus Christ, you would remind us that we can receive every moment and every relationship as a gift from you to be savored and enjoyed and appreciated and ultimately, God, even to be given away in generosity to invite others to experience the same joy that you have given us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.